and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Dave Stovall and I'm your host. Thanks so much for joining me today. We are currently working our way through our top 10 most played podcasts ever and today's is number five and it features the Bonhoeffer Project. We've got the executive director, Cindy Perkins, along with Dan Lights and Stephen Kimbrell, and they talk together about what the gospel really is and what it is not. This was fascinating to hear from church leaders who, when they look back, realize that they may have been guilty of preaching a forgiveness gospel and not an obedience to King Jesus gospel. Before we listen in to this conversation, I want to tell you about the Digital Access Pass. If you missed the forum from 2021, or if you're somebody that wants to watch it again, you can, for a limited time only, watch all four main stage sessions along with four main track sessions on your computer. So make sure you go click the link in the show notes to purchase that. It's only $79.99, and you can do that from now till December 31st of 2021. All right, let's jump in and listen to Cindy, Dan, and Stephen. Well, welcome. Thank you for joining us today on The Collective Show. And um, we are so excited to be a part of discipleship.org and all that they do to bring the Disciple First community together. Uh, my name is Cindy Perkins. I get the privilege of being the executive director for the Bonhoeffer Project, and um, I am excited to be here with you. I'm going to have some conversation with a couple of very special guys, and uh, I'm going to introduce them, but then I'm going to let them tell you a little bit about uh, themselves. First is Stephen Kimbrell. Stephen serves on our national leadership team. He's also the regional representative for Southern California. And uh, we've just had conversations about rain in SoCal and Florida. So those of you who live in those two places know how that conversation went. So, and my other guest is uh, Dan Lights. And Dan serves uh, coming up as CEO of the Bonhoeffer Project. We're getting ready to, to install him into that position. So I'm excited about that. Why don't you guys uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, who you are, where you are and um, what you love to do. Stephen, go ahead. Yeah, I'm uh, so I'm actually a Southerner living in Southern California, um, not a native by any stretch of the imagination. I grew up in Alabama, I uh, grew up two miles down a dirt road on a farm. So never thought in a million years I'd be living in Southern California, but here I am and uh, lived in Alabama, then went to North Carolina, was there for 12 years and uh, found my wife there, three kids there, and uh, then God called us to uh, plant a church in Orange County, a place called Irvine, California, and uh, so we moved out six years ago, uh, incredibly uh, multi-ethnic community, and uh, our church has been going for uh, almost five years. We'll have our five-year anniversary next month, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's a little bit about me. Dan, how about you? Tell us a little more about you. My goodness. Um, let's see. Let's go back to the beginning. When I was a young boy. No, I won't go that far. Um, <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I've been married for 17 years in October, this October, um, to my beautiful wife, Nicole. Uh, we have four beautiful children. Um, let's see. I have been at my current position, which is I'm the senior pastor of 
Calvary Chapel Oceanside here in also sunny Southern California. I am a native of Southern California, born and raised here, not on the coast, more inland. But um, right now I serve as the senior pastor here. I've been at this church now for 13, going on 14 years. Um, it is my joy to serve here and do this. And I'll tell you what, I've just been learning the ins and outs of disciple making as it comes, uh, you know, just to uh, the dynamic of a church. So it's, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a joy. It's also a pain in the butt sometimes, but nonetheless, it's uh it's a calling. And so you do it and uh, you, you honor what God has called you to do. So you just keep going with that. So uh, just love what I get to do. Uh, love getting to minister to people and uh, love being part of this uh, phenomenal organization. All right. Well, um, I'm excited for us to be here today because we're going to talk a little bit about um, some of the the basics of what we believe is um, from God uh, as we walk into the Bonhoeffer Project. And one of the things that we say is the gospel you teach determines the disciple you make. So I want us to have that upstream conversation. Dan, can you unpack that a little bit for us? The gospel you preach determines the disciple you make. Yeah, that was um, the most revolutionary statement that I think I've ever heard outside of scripture in my life, no doubt. Um, when I first heard that statement, it really stopped me in my tracks because I've always been a, and again, I don't say this because other people aren't, but I've always been a, a huge proponent of the gospel. I love preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel. I love seeing people, as I say, uh, crossing from death to life. It's like one of my favorite things. And if you've never experienced walking someone from pre-Jesus to post-Jesus, like you've never lived, it is the most amazing experience uh, you can ever have. So being a, a fan and a proponent and a uh, just a, a vocal person when it comes to the gospel when I knew that 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 my church and my ministry needed to focus on disciple making, I was very um, adept at making things happen in my strength. And so, what I was going to do is just you know get a lot of curriculum. Let's figure out how to do this the right way. So when I heard that statement it made me think that there's more to making disciples than a good curriculum. And there's nothing wrong with curriculum. Again, I don't want anybody to think curriculum's bad or that we're saying that there's something wrong with curriculum, but curriculum can only take you so far because the upstream conversation, as you were talking about, Cindy, is really the conversation that needs to have or to happen, excuse me, before you even get to curriculum. Because if you don't have that conversation, all you're going to produce is another program in your church, another optional program that becomes another piece of a massive, maybe consumeristic type puzzle that a church can become over, over time. And so what we start doing is we start looking at metrics, and not that metrics are a bad thing. But we look at the metrics of how many people are coming and are people satisfied. We start doing surveys rather than finding out if people are really loving Jesus. Are, are they modeling Jesus? Are they following him? So really that upstream conversation has to do with 
what gospel are you preaching? And that's really, I'll be honest with you, that was what kind of messed me up because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, isn't there only one gospel? I mean, there's only one. There should be only, well, there should be. Is there? Like, it, it was just this mind melt from, well, of course there's only one to, I think there's only one. Oh my gosh, I think there's probably others. Oh, what are they? Have I done that? Right? You just kind of that, that, you know, uh, deg degradation in my mind, uh, just degrading from I know I'm right to I'm I'm totally wrong. Um, and so looking at those different gospels, I and mean, Bill wrote in his book, uh, Conversion and Discipleship, those different types of gospels. So it's so important to go upstream to where the origination of discipleship is, which is the gospel, to make sure that as people are surrendering their lives to Jesus, they're doing so in a biblical way. Stephen, how about you? How have you seen that play out um, as we look at those different gospels? And this is one of the things that we teach, obviously, in the Bonhoeffer Project. But, but how have you landed those in your church? How's that played out for you, understanding that these different gospels, because people come into our churches already filled up with something yeah. right so yeah talk about that yeah i think you know to kind of piggyback off of what dan was saying i think you know uh, most everybody if, if they've been around church any time at all they just automatically assume that they understand the gospel and that they're communicating the gospel in the right way i mean i, I remember having the exact same feelings of that Dan expressed when I got involved with the Bonhoeffer Project and they started talking about, we're going to go upstream and examine the gospel you teach. And I thought, well, let's just fast forward through that because I got the gospel down. Just yeah. get me to the nuts and bolts stuff. And that's, like Dan said, that's everybody uh, that most of the people we talk to, just get me to the nuts and the bolts. Just tell me how to make disciples. And, um, and, and when you're doing that, if your gospel is not right upstream, then you still got dirty water downstream. And that's what we're we're trying to avoid. And like uh, Dan said, Bill does a great job uh, describing that uh, in his book, Con Conversion and Discipleship. And, um, and so, yeah, so, you know, I, I would say from experience, um, you know, I, I have to confess like Dan did too, uh, there have been times in my life in ministry where I was, I would say I was teaching another gospel. Um, and, and I wouldn't say it, it was a, it, with intentionality. I think sometimes I understood the gospel correctly, but what I was um, conveying to other people, what other people were hearing me say in my ministry was different even than what I believed. And, um, you know, if I could go back to uh, my ministry before California in, so BC, uh, in North Carolina, um, I would say there were times in that ministry as uh, I was a youth pastor there, and there were times uh, in my ministry there where um, I, it wasn't intentionally, but it was really just out of a zeal to see people come to know Christ and see people uh, pledge their love to Jesus and begin to be followers of him. And I had this desire to evangelize that, that sometimes I kind of uh, probably sped up that process mm -hmm. a little too quickly uh, in my eagerness and zeal uh, to see these teenagers begin to be followers of Jesus. And uh, and then, you know, let's just be honest, um, you know, in ministry, it just it, it's validating when someone prays that prayer, when someone raises that hand, when somebody gets baptized, it's validating to, you know, what we poured into it. It's validating to our ministry. And so I think there were times where I unintentionally 
uh, preached a forgiveness only gospel, um, which is, you know, kind of the idea that, you know, hey, Jesus died um, and you, you need salvation so you don't go to hell. So pray this prayer and you can get that forgiveness you need and move on with your life. And I wouldn't have said that because the truth is I preached, um, I, I did preach obedience to Christ and all those things. Um, but I think sometimes what people heard me say was you can have forgiveness, um, but yet you can figure out if you want to follow Jesus later, right? Mm -hmm. You can figure out the discipleship stuff is for the super Christians, not the average Christian. Yeah. Um, and as I look back on it, I think a couple of results came from that. I think one, um, I think I grew frustrated trying to mm -hmm. convince people that weren't actually followers of Jesus that they should obey him. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's what a lot of, a lot of pastors and youth pastors spend their time doing is trying to convince people they should obey him. And, and they're like, yeah, I don't, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Um, so I grew frustrated. But I think the other thing it did was I think it undermined um, the power of the gospel in people's minds. Um, in other words, they'd see someone be baptized. They'd see someone name the name of Christ. I would stand up and say so-and-so is a follower of Jesus now. And they'd leave that point and there would be no difference. And some of the kids and some of the adults who really were followers are looking at it going, well, really? I mean, is that what the gospel is? Is that what the gospel does? And so I, I just say that to say I've seen how this plays out downstream, even unintentionally. Um, but I think to finally fully get around and answer your question, hopefully, Cindy, um, I've seen how this plays out in a positive way in our church here um, in California too, is we've been much more intentional about teaching the gospel that leads people to, to not only believe and put faith in Jesus, but also results in them following yeah. after Jesus. Yeah. And, and, and since we've tried to be much more intentional about making sure in all of our communication, we're communicating um, those aspects of it, that it really is about following Jesus. Um, I think as a result, we've, We've seen, I'd say we've seen fewer converts um, on one side of things, which as a, as a church planner, um, you feel the pressure to create converts. Um, and so that can be difficult. But I think on the other side of that, we're seeing stronger disciples. And I think we're building people's confidence in the gospel and that, wow, the gospel really does transform and change people when they believe, repent, and and follow after Jesus. So uh, that was probably a, a longer answer than you were looking for, but no, that's right. kind of right. yeah. the the contrast of what I've seen in, in my ministry. Yeah, it's a good progression um, because I, I heard you say that um, you wanted them to get there quickly, right? We, mm. we want that quick. And then I think what happens is we short circuit what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction, right? Disciples yeah. can't be made overnight and they can't be made with just a profession of faith and that's just part of the journey right and so i think part of it is we have to change our mindset we have to change the way that we see things and change our motivations i really do think it's a lot about motivation for us as leaders um to to make sure that we're uh, meeting the metrics that the world has set up for us when in fact jesus showed us the metric and uh, he turned and walked away from a lot of people who weren't really there, right? Yeah. They were there, but yeah. they weren't really there. And um, 
and and uh, one of our guys had said early on in the process of the Bonhoeffer project that that discipleship is probably the best church subtraction uh, program that's out there, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> best yep. church subtraction program. Yep. Um, all right. So you guys are from very different scenarios in your church. Stephen, you're a church planter. Dan, you're in an established church. How long has your church been there? 34 years. Yeah, so it's so it's an established church. So so talk to us about how you've been able because both of you are disciple making disciple making leaders who train other leaders to be disciple makers, right? So right. I want you to talk to us about how you bring that into your church setting based on the the different things. I mean, you're both in SoCal, so you have that commonality, mm -hmm. but very very different types of churches. So, uh, Stephen, why don't you start? Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely different uh, context as far as churches. Um, you know, a church plant obviously has a lot of obstacles. You look at it and you're going in and talking about funding and raising up leaders and uh, buildings and, you know, all of those obstacles that you have to um, overcome, especially when, you know, you do what we did and you move across the country, you come into a new culture, uh, you don't know anyone, all that kind of stuff. But one of the real opportunities and advantages uh, that I love about church planning is that you get to create a culture from scratch. And mm -hmm. there are some real advantages to that because nobody is around to say, we've never done it that way before. And um, and so that that could be really good. I mean, if you're a pastor, you've heard that before. Why are we doing it this way? That kind of thing. And we've been going five years now. So, you know, we're, we're starting to build a little bit of a framework where people can say that now. But especially in the beginning, uh, we were laying a brand new uh, foundation for our church culture. And so one of the things we wanted to do from the very beginning was be very intentional with the culture that we were establishing. And so just, we simply um, have tried to do that, um, you know, by focusing on some of the things that, you know, everybody says that you use to build culture. Like, uh, what, is your, what is your language? Uh, what are the things that you celebrate? What are the stories that you tell, whether it's social media from the pulpit or, or whatever? And then what are the things that were actually measuring uh, because what we measure is is what matters to us and so uh, we really focus on those things early early on to try to get that out there in the culture of our church uh, because anybody knows this it when you start something from scratch even though you you have a clear direction vision and a culture you're trying to create uh, there's constantly people who have they've got a different vision they've got a different culture um, that they want to come in and bring. And so as a pastor, you really have to be the protector of that culture and that vision. And it's a drumbeat that just has to be hit over and over and over and over again. Why do we do what we do? Why do we not do certain things that other people think would be great additions to our church if we if we did them? And, and it all has to come back to our mission. Our, our mission statement is we make disciples that make disciples. And so we have to constantly uh, be pointing people back to that. Um, and so I would say trying to create that culture. And then the other thing we really tried to focus on early on and, and still do focus on um, was investing in our leaders and making sure like our initial launch team and our early leadership 
really um, not only understood what we were doing, but that they owned the vision and that they were living this out in their lives. And um, and that's what we saw take place is as our leadership began to grasp this. And, and it took a while to wrestle with it and flex those discipleship muscles um, as they began to get it. Then we, it, we saw it begin to go out in waves in our church and more and more and more people begin to really grasp the vision. Um, and, and we're by nowhere uh, where I want to be, but it's cool to be five years down the road and, and hear people re- repeat some of the things that we've been saying for five mm-hmm. years. And, and we, we see that getting in the DNA. So, uh, yeah. So those are some of the things that we've been able to do as a church plant with a new culture that um, I think it has really worked for us. So you're starting to see some generational growth then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, this one discipled this one who is now discipled this one. And so you've got three, four yeah. generations. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up. That's what's, I mean, you know, that's what's the, the point of the culture is, you know, to undergird the disciple making. And so to see like, um, you know, I've got a meeting with a group we call our mentoring group tonight. It's a discipleship group. We just don't call it that. Um, but this is, uh, th- they're, they're fourth generation. And so um, to be able to meet with those guys and see some other guys from previous generations investing in them, like yeah. that's, that's what we're going after. Um, and, and see some of those guys have been led to the Lord in the past few years and now being disciple, like, boom, that's, that's what we're going for. That is what we're going for. Dan, how about you in an established church? How is that process for you as you continue? And, and I say, as you continue to implement, because mm-hmm. bottom line is it doesn't happen in six months or a year, right? No, guys? It's not. No. I mean, Stephen's five years in with this, with the banging the drum. Right. So. Yeah. And, and Stephen said it really well. And I, I just have to commend him because there is there's something truly remarkable about someone who can lay a brand new foundation and begin to build on that. Because as we know, in the Bonhoeffer Project, it's all about passing the baton. The church mm-hmm. doesn't belong to us. We're stewards of it for a certain amount of time. Then what's it's the next guy's turn. Hopefully it's a better church then what we started with and we give it to him here's the keys don't crash the car kind of deal for me i think it's it's so much i mean gosh like i could literally talk about this for hours because there are so many nuances i know i know sorry everybody's (laughs) like yeah please shut him down (laughs) you can mute me if you need to i'll give you Um, the just kick me out of the room (laughs) just kick me out of the chat it's fine we just lost the audience yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. lost your audio, Dan. You're out. <laughs> no, there was something in particular that really, again, this is where the culture change for me came into. Somebody mentioned, I was listening to a teaching from a brother in Christ who's been ministering. He's kind of like an itinerant preacher who's been doing it for a long time. And he said, somewhere in the late 50s, early 60s, preachers stopped using the word surrender and started using the word commitment. It's time to commit your life to the Lord. Would you commit your life to Jesus? And they stopped using surrender. And what it did is it shifted the mindset of of giving up versus kind of the intellectual tip of the cap to God. God, I'm going to commit to you this moment. I'm going to commit to you my church life. But the surrender part wasn't holistic. And so what I've seen in my church in particular, kind of like you were talking about, Stephen, I've thrown in some small pebbles into the still waters. 
And it's, you know, when you throw that in, there's kind of, but those waves start to propagate out, you know, in the lake. And it, you know, you're, you'll end up with some waves on the outer banks in the shore, uh, depending on how big the rock is that you throw in. What I think has been the hardest thing for me, and I mean for me in watching people absorb the mindset of disciple making, is really the implications of it. Um, because our churches for so long in the West, and I would say probably even more so in Southern California, they are very much about consumerism. Now, they don't say that. It's not like there's a banner that says, get your felt needs meet here or met here. But there's there's a mindset that people have. Somebody even told me, you know, Pastor Dan, your messages aren't as encouraging as I would like. There was a church down the road. His messages are really encouraging. But I said, was Jesus always encouraging? No, sometimes people heard a hard word and they left because they didn't like what was being said. I'd rather be honoring and, and faithful to the words of Jesus than just making everybody feel secure and okay when they may not be secure and okay. So I think that's the hardest part about really um, helping people understand discipleship in a context of a large church because people come face to face with that mirror of, am I following Jesus or am I a fan of Jesus? Is he someone who I give my life and devotion and surrender to or he is the guy that I give my hour and a half on Sunday morning. So there's that is, I think, the biggest wrestle. But again, as I've been now um, working on establishing it in our church for the better part of two years now, it has become, um, I'm starting to hear those same things, Stephen. People are starting to say uh, verbiage that I've used. People are starting to remember uh, the definition of a disciple because that's another thing too, you know, even in our, that's probably something we should talk about, the definitions. We could we could go through this entire um, collective time saying the word discipleship and expect that everybody knows what we mean or say the gospel and expect that everybody knows what we mean when if you went into any given church and you said, hey, what's the gospel? You're probably going to get for each individual a different definition. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's one of the uh, valuable pieces that we do in the Bonhoeffer Project, and a lot of people aren't sure what that is. But we uh, we start with definition of the gospel and then definition of a disciple because it is important for us to be on the same page. We as leaders can't lead people where we're not sure that we're going right, right. and and right. if we're not leading them with the same language and the same definitions. Uh, then we're just going to be all over the place. And so it's important for us to understand how to communicate that to people. And Stephen, like you said, we get tired of saying it over yep. and over and over and over again. But but we have to remember that as we've walked this path and we've been transformed by the discipling process, a lot of people in our midst have not. Yeah. And so they see us as the experts. So they're going to keep asking and keep asking. This is one of the things that as a college professor, I notice. And sometimes I get tired of teaching the same classes over and over and over again. 
But then I remember that the people coming in this semester don't know what the people that were there last fall know. Right. So yeah, they, yeah, they don't yeah. know what I know. So I've got to teach the same thing because the foundational understanding has to be there or yeah, the rest yeah. of it doesn't necessarily work. Right. Yeah. And a so great man once told me that when you're sick of saying it, someone's just hearing it for the first time. Yeah. Absolutely. So it, it just constantly has to be reiterated and shored up. And like you said, pounded, pound that same thing. What is the definition? One of the things, uh, I used to teach logic in high school, and one of the fundamental laws of logic is something is what we say it is, the law of identity. And so there has to be the definitions. If you don't have those definitions, you, people are going to get lost. Yeah. Well, and and uh, one of the pieces that I teach is that perception is reality right? It, it might not be your reality, but the perception that the people that are listening to you have, that's their reality. Mm -hmm. And so we have to make sure that, that the perception that we're communicating to them is the reality of what scripture says, or we right. just all get messed up, right? And, and we're all going in different directions and, and the unity of the body can't happen in that place. And I think that's one of the things that Jesus did. He kept telling them the disciples things and he would tell them in a little bit of a different way each time but it was the same message over mm -hmm. and over and over again right yeah. repent yeah. believe and follow repent believe and follow and so he said it in a lot of different settings and in a lot of different ways and so that's part of um i think as we train our disciples and as we train our leaders to disciple that's a part of what we have to do is train them to use the same verbiage over and over so that it becomes natural and people get used to hearing their mouths say the right kind of words, right? That that right. fit in the place of understanding the gospel from Jesus' viewpoint. I wanna take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. Something I want to jump back on, What one of the things that Stephen said that, that really resonated, because it's the same mindset. That I, listen, I've given the gospel before at arenas where thousands have made professions mm -hmm. in Christ Jesus. I've done it at my church where hundreds have done it. But I always, uh, and I shouldn't say always, in the last few years, I've now been asking myself, where are they now? Because that's been the biggest thing. There have been two 
professions of faith in our church in the last two weeks that they came to us. There was no invitation given. The gospel was presented. There was no altar call. There was repent, believe, follow. Mm -hmm. And they came to us and said, I need this right now. What, like, what do I need to do? What must I do to have yeah. eternal life? Yeah. And those two that I'm thinking of specifically, I, I mean, I could not be more excited about them because they are in, and I've seen it. It's in their eyes. It's in their heart. They can't stop, right? But these other, these hundreds who've raised their hand said, I want to be forgiven. Where are they? You know, I, I hope they're not walking around our beautiful city thinking that they're good with God because they prayed a prayer one time. Yeah, that's the dangerous part of all of this is that if we if we don't pay attention to those pieces, there are people walking around thinking they're OK with God and they're not. Right. And scripture's clear about that. It breaks my heart to think about that and to think about how many times I have sat uh, with an altar call and thought, oh, great, they're saved. And then mm -hmm. there's nothing, right? I did, yeah. there was, I was part of an organization one time or uh, attending some um, conference sessions and the ladies wanted me to, it was a women's group and the ladies wanted me to um, be a part of the prayer team that would pray when people got saved. And I said, well, I just have a question for you. What do you do? Because this was a national organization. What do you do when these people come to the front of this, this room and make that profession of faith? How do you move them along the pathway? Oh, we email them or mail them a Bible study. And I'm like, I can't do it. I, you don't, you don't work with local churches. You don't, engage them with like humans that are going to walk them along the pathway. I mean, a Bible study is great, but if I get a Bible study in the mail, am I going to do it? Probably not as a new believer, right? The reality is maybe 10 years from now, I'll say, oh, that's what I got from there. Well, maybe I'll look at it, but people aren't going to do that because they're caught up in the emotion of the moment. And so it's our responsibility as believers to get this right and and to take seriously that these are souls um, that that need to be walked through the process of understanding who Christ is and how to follow him. Yeah. Right. And yeah. There, there wasn't coercion. Jesus didn't yeah, coerce did anybody. He just said, come on, follow me. And and they either did or they didn't. Yeah. And Cindy, I'll add this. I'm not sure if we're on track with where we're supposed to be or way off in left field, yeah. but um you know, I, I think, it, it, you know, with what we're saying, it's important for us to, to say that, you know, I think some people think that discipleship, uh, you know, is almost the enemy of evangelism. Like they're in competition with one another. And, and I don't think that's true at all. Uh, and, and that's why I'm, I'm such a big proponent of discipleship, because I think discipleship actually fuels uh, evangelism. And I think, you know, Dan and I are both uh, you know, huge evangelism guys. I mean, that's why I moved my family across the country to, to reach yeah. people that were far from God. Um, but I think, you know, what I, what I see taking place in, in churches that are truly discipling their people is they're raising up 
people who are mature in their faith who are then reaching people with the gospel message. And this uh, multiplication begins to happen exponentially rather than just through addition. And um, so I, I think, you know, we have to understand it's, it's not do I want evangelism or do I want discipleship? Uh, we want both sides of the coin. And I don't think it's an either or thing that you have to choose between. No, it is not. And it's when we when we bring people into the kingdom, it's our responsibility to help them continue to grow. Right. Yeah, and so absolutely. Them. And I, I do think you're right. I think when people are transformed into the likeness of Christ, they have a natural inclination to want to evangelize, to want to tell people about this Jesus that has changed their lives. Yeah, so, right on those lines, uh, this one, one of these guys who surrendered his life to Jesus, repented this last week. I mean, he's calling the church daily to tell us of the people he's told about Jesus. It's like so that's awesome. the fire of the Holy Spirit in someone who's been radically changed by Jesus. He knows what he's saved from and he desperately wants other people to experience forgiveness and yeah. repentance and relationship and the follow. And I think that has been, uh, it's what Stephen's talking about. We could get 80 people to raise their hand because the, the, the verbiage was right. The emotion of the room was perfect. The ambiance was set. And, and we did everything we could except for lifting someone's hand for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we did every, like we got out every hindrance and they raised their hand and we then feel, as Stephen said earlier, validated. My ministry is working. But if there's no follow-up or if they're nowhere near a church two months from now, what, what have we really done? What have we really done in the kingdom? Yeah. And that's, you know, and again, for church people, man, it makes church people feel good too. Yeah. But what we've done, and I think Stephen would, would recognize this, Cindy would as well, we've turned evangelism into a professional sport. Mm -hmm. You have to be a professional to do it. You got to say the right words. Well, I don't have a band behind me when I'm at work and somebody says, hey, what's this Jesus thing? You know, cue the band and cue the nice lights and, you know, get the fog machine. We got to make it really poignant and perfect. Yeah. It's, it's the zeal of the Holy Spirit in someone as they've been converted, transformed, changed, yeah. that is going to do that work. And so when we focus on making disciples, the disciples focus on making more. Yes, that is a fact. And I think one of the things um, that that we hear and that we need to engage along the way uh, is celebration of those things, right? Yeah. There, is, there is celebration in heaven in those moments. And so I think we should mirror that celebration on earth in those Amen. places to say, hey, look at, look at what God's doing in the midst of this man's life. And look and at I, how excited he is and how, because in, in that excitement and, and the zeal and the winsomeness that comes with us, um, with us knowing who Christ is, right? That's what people are drawn to. They're not drawn to our programs and they're not drawn to our fog machines and our great lights and all that kind of stuff. It's okay to have all that stuff, but that's not what draws people in. What draws people is the spirit of God and their need for a savior. And so we're just in that place of being apart. And as we are faithful in discipling and in, in making that priority in our organizations, 
that changes the very tenor of the organization, yeah. right? Like Stephen, you're seeing that change exponentially happen in in your church plant, right? Five years, you're you're not where you were five years ago as mm -hmm. a church body, right? And Dan, you're beginning to see that shift and and take your church in a whole different trajectory where they're beginning to see and understand relationship with christ in a very yeah. very different way yeah we're about ready to graduate our if you will first set of disciples and and, and i say that not because they get a badge or anything like that but like we're at gen one yeah right so you've got to be prepared for the long haul this yeah. is not a church growth strategy that you're going to find in a magazine this is the way Jesus intended to make his church. We focus on making disciples. He builds the church. Mm -hmm. So, but I got a question for you, Dan. Yeah. Why ahead. wouldn't you give him a badge? Like, why wouldn't you have a badge? <laughs> a badge? You know, I, <laughs> because then people rely on the badge to, mm, to affirm well, that's them. that's true. That's true. You know, for now, me, and... I want one. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. because, because the last thing we want to do is be questioned because what happens is if we have the badge, we rest in the badge instead know. of Jesus. We, we badge, rest in. Badge needs to say, ask me about discipleship. Amen. Absolutely. And then they're there ready. You go. Discipleship. See, that's, you just ask me about discipleship. Now, now they're talking to this guy and they got to, uh, I have to disciple him. I've got, here we go. Let's go. Right we, we, now, I will say, just so everybody understands, we do have a form of a badge, but it's not a badge. Okay. But I can't show you what that is yet. That's coming yeah. soon. Okay. All right. Coming soon. So what advice would you two give to leaders who haven't yet made discipleship a central part of the life of their church? What are you waiting for? You're, you're missing out. I mean, you're really missing out on true life transformation. For me, like I said at the beginning, I am enthralled, just I'm blown away when I watch genuine conversion happen mm -hmm. in, my, uh, at my, in my midst. When I see it really taking place, there is something about it that it, it reiterates the gospel to me. And so it, 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 in, it infuses like a brand new life of the spirit in me. And I get to say, oh my gosh, look at what God is doing in this one. And so I get to, I get to witness that versus, and I'm not saying it's wrong for the big, um, you know, crusade type calls, but you got to make sure you got a place for them. So I say, what are you doing? Because you're missing out on people's lives being transformed for eternity, not for an evening, not for a morning, not for a half day, right? The good soil that's going to produce the fruit, the crop, the 30, 60, 100 fold. It's not the fast road, but it's the most rewarding. It is rewarding. How about you, Stephen? What advice would you give to folks? Yeah, you know, I think... Um, if you know if you're a lead pastor and listening to this i think the advice i would give you is that um this has got to be something that's uh, embedded deep in your heart first of all um 
I, I would encourage you to uh, to wrestle with this, um, search the scriptures, uh, seek some counsel, um, because it's not disciple making is not the easy road. Um, there, I don't think there are any easy roads in church. Let me just say that, especially over the last year and a half. And if you're listening to this, and you're like, we've been through COVID. I don't have time to worry about this. I get that. Um, but it, it, making disciples is definitely not the easy road. It's definitely not the fast road. And so the only reason you would do it if, is if it's the road that is worthwhile. Um, if there's a, a bigger why inside of you, uh, because there are going to be so many things that try to distract you from this. There's going to be so many things that are pulling at your attention to try to uh, pull you away from the main task of making disciples. And so I would encourage you, first of all, as an individual, to make sure this is deep in your own heart, um, because it's not something that can just be delegated uh, to somebody else in your church to say, hey, can we start a little discipleship ministry on the side? It has to be the heart of uh, the heartbeat of the church. It has to permeate every aspect. Uh, I think we've said it before in the Bonhoeffer Project that it has to be baked into the bread of everything that we do. Um, and I heard someone say this recently, if the pastor isn't married to discipleship, if he's not, if he's just fond of it, then he'll find another mistress of ministry to follow after. And there's always those things that are coming toward us as pastors saying, hey, this is the new thing. This is the new thing. And so you've got to be You've got to be married to this thing. It's got to be deep in your bones first. And then from there, if you're looking to bring this into your church, um, you know, I love what Bill says. Uh, don't announce the revolution. Start it. In mm -hmm. other words, uh, this isn't a stand up Sunday morning thing. Hey, guys, we're starting a brand new program, discipleship. I want everybody signed up. We're going to do it this year because that'll fizzle so fast and nobody's going to get it. Uh, the best thing to do is. Find the, the, the cream of the crop in your church, the best leaders you've got, and spend a year um, investing in them. Spend a year discipling them, and then they'll learn what it is that they need to be doing in others. And from there, you can multiply, and, and it'll begin to, uh, to trickle out throughout your entire congregation. So th that would be just some of my simple advice. That's a good word. That's a good word from both of you. Uh, Stephen, you want to give us a two minute about what the Bonhoeffer Project is and does so that our folks listening can know a little bit more about us. Yeah, uh, I feel like I got set up good for this because I was talking to a guy today and he, he saw my shirt and said, what is the Bonhoeffer Project? So I had a little bit of practice. Hopefully I won't blow this. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so at the Bonhoeffer Project, we turn leaders into disciple makers. That's the, the heart of what we do. And the very simple of uh, way of how we do that is really through a 10-month process in which uh, we place leaders in the cohort so they have the opportunity to build a customized disciple-making plan for their church context. And, um, and so just to expound on that a little bit more, what we do is uh, we're not giving you a canned discipleship plan for your church and say, here's what we do in California, do this in your church and it'll work too. Uh, but what we do is we really guide you through a process. We sit with you for, for 10 months and with you and other leaders in helping you craft a plan that fits you, first of all, as a leader, but also fits your church context and will make disciples where you are. And uh, so it's a guided process. I love that because the, the reality is what works here in Southern California 
probably does not work in, in Alabama or North Carolina or Texas or Idaho, wherever you're watching from. And so it's a customized approach. Um, and that's one of my favorite things about it. Um, and, and I love the fact that it's a guided process. So you're building it on, on the wisdom of Bill Hall and a number of other leaders over the years uh, that's really going to help you uh, build a disciple-making plan for your church. So that's it. Awesome. Thank you. We have groups for both men and women. Uh, so that's exciting too. You can find out more about us at thebonhoefferproject.com. And uh, if you want information that that comes to me, if you request information. So I'd love to have conversation with you or get you in touch with one of these guys. If you're, if you want a deeper conversation with them, um, anything else, have we missed anything guys? We still I think we got it, but I just want to encourage people to jump in. You know, it, it, don't don't hang out on the sideline. I mean, Stephen said it best: wrestle with this stuff, mm -hmm. search the scriptures. We're not giving you a line; we're telling you this is the way Jesus wanted us to do it. Don't miss out on the life, even if you're late in the game. Don't worry about that. God wants you to finish strong, so get in the game. Start making the disciples that Jesus wants you to make. Yeah. Uh, we want to say a special thank you to discipleship.org for letting us host the collective shows this month. Uh, this one airs at the end of the month. And um, so we're we're just very excited to be a part of the collective and, and all that uh, Bobby Harrington and his crew at discipleship.org are doing to move forward this discipleship first movement. So we're much appreciative of that and of, of uh, the opportunity to just be able to share our hearts with you. Again, if you uh, need to get us, we're at thebonhofferproject.com. Thank you for giving us your time today. And um, we've enjoyed hanging out with you. We'll talk to you soon. Well, there you have it. That was number five out of our top 10 most played podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. And I hope that you took something away from it that's going to help you along your journey as you follow Christ and lean into becoming a disciple maker. Just want to say before I sign off here, if you haven't already, check the link in the show notes because you can get that digital access pass and watch all the main sessions and four main track sessions from this year's National Disciple Making Forum. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week for our number four most played podcast. And in the meantime, I hope that you and your families have a great week. See you later.